Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I found favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseers of his harvesters, who does that woman, young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks from her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the, evening, in the field until evening. Then she threshed, threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to the town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left, what she had left over after she'd eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finished harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might have been harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to, to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Amen. Lauren is going to come up and speak. 
Good morning, church. Just before I start, I do want to give another shout out for the um, home space team. Like genuinely, if you're maybe thinking about it um, a little bit, like thinking about joining on a Wednesday, and you just need someone else to say it, to push you over the edge, this, that's me, I'm saying it now, um, you'd be so welcome. So before I begin, let's pray. Spirit of God, thank you that you're here. Would you help me to say what you want me to say and help us to hear what you want us to hear? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this is a picture of George. He was a greengrocer and a missionary in Jamaica when he met his wife next to him, Daisy May, a fellow missionary on a bus. A few years later, after they had married, George moved to England after a brief stint uh, picking oranges in Florida. He arrived in London in 1962 and was faced with one of the worst snowstorms in history, in British history, at least. And not only that, He was faced with racism and discrimination at every turn. He was a foreigner in a hostile land, and he had to learn to trust God in the loneliest and desperate of times. He had left Daisy May and their two sons in Jamaica while he tried to build a life and make a home for them here. He was a man of great faith and trusted that God would protect them and provide for his family. Fortunately, five years later, he sent for his family to join him, and my mum, his first daughter, was born to them a couple of years later. George and um, Daisy, my grandma and granddad, often said to each other and to us, encourage yourself, be of good cheer. They left their home in Jamaica and endured hard times, but I remember them as people of joy. And people of laughter, they laughed a lot. Even as they got older, through pacemakers, dementia, and broken hips, they knew what it was to trust in God. Now, we have started a short sermon series at Trinity all about Ruth. We're looking at the lives of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz in the book of Ruth. And there is so much stuff going on here. Um, We'll be continuing to look over the next few weeks, but I encourage you to dive deep into the story too. Maybe read it during the week, maybe even listen to it. Why, do you ask? Um, Because we, on a Sunday, are only able to draw out some of the broader themes, but there's such a wealth of experience and knowledge of God that's in these pages for us. So, um, like, join in, join in and... Allow God to reveal that to you as you read it. So Ruth is a book in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and it's found within a time of history um, called the Judges. It's when Israel was ruled by judges. It was a lawless time. It was like a Wild West kind of time. But before we get to chapter 2, which Beth read for us so beautifully, what has happened so far? Well, as Joe framed for us last week, 
This is the story of a woman called Ruth who, when faced with the tragedy of her husband, brother-in-law, and father-in-law all dying, she chooses to stay with her mother-in-law to support her. She empties herself of her traditions and her future hopes in order to stay with Naomi. She not only vows to stay with Naomi, she vows to stay with Naomi's God, the God of Israel. Now, Ruth is a widowed woman who comes from outside of the people of Israel. She has no husband, no future, and she is a foreigner in a hostile land. And to add to that, Israel is in a time of great turmoil. When describing the scene that Naomi and Ruth find themselves in, the writer of the book of Ruth says that everyone did as they saw fit, which basically means every man, woman, child for themselves. At the end of chapter one, act one, things are looking pretty bleak. Then, chapter two, or act two, begins with a glimmer of hope. The beginning of a light at the end of the tunnel. We are introduced to Boaz, who, spoiler alert, will play a big part in the redemption of Naomi and Ruth's story. At the beginning of the chapter, He's introduced to us as a man of noble character. And Ruth, our main character, goes to find a field where she can glean, so pick up leftover grain from a field. And Ruth just so happens to start collecting the grain in Boaz's fields. Boaz notices Ruth. He asks about her and finds out that she is a foreign woman in need. And Boaz, as a man of noble character, not only allows Ruth to keep picking in the fields, which um, the law of the Israelites would have told him to do anyway, he also tells his staff to look out for her. Ruth, in this time of everyone doing what they want, is understandably shocked by this act of generosity. And she has to ask him, like, why? Why are you being so kind to me, someone who's not even from here, someone who doesn't belong here? And Boaz replies, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then, Boaz gives Ruth extra food and protection and tells his staff to leave extra grain for her to pick up. And after experiencing this radical generosity, the protection of Boaz, Ruth returns to Naomi with more grain than makes sense. And Naomi has to ask, like, what's gone on? How did you get all this grain? In whose fields were you picking? And we find out that it's Boaz. And Boaz is Naomi's guardian redeemer. He's a relative of Naomi's. He's one of the people that can actually restore her family line and restore the inheritance that her family has lost. Chapter 2 is a beautiful story of Ruth's trust in God and God's faithfulness to her. Maybe Ruth saw something in Naomi that made her trust God. 
Maybe she took a punt and thought, well, the worst has already happened. I've got nothing. What have I got to lose? Whatever the reason, Ruth trusted God. In verse 2, Ruth says, Let me go into the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. She could have very easily stayed with Naomi and joined in with Naomi's bitterness. She could have changed her mind and decided to leave after all. We've seen our fair share of U-turns and minds change this week, haven't we? And that actually wasn't off the table in theory, but... Ruth seems to double down on her vow to Naomi, to Naomi's people and to Naomi's God. Ruth takes a posture of activity. She goes into the fields and expects to find favour somewhere with someone. She trusts God and expects him to do something. So I don't know about you, but trust isn't often my default position. I think we can find it much easier to slip into pessimism and scepticism. Our first thought is often, especially as Brits, don't get your hopes up too much. It probably won't happen. Or expect the worst, um, hope for the best, but if it doesn't happen, then you won't be in too much pain. When there is an opportunity for us to exercise our trust muscle, it can just look like an opportunity for disappointment. But for Ruth, the worst has already happened. She's married into a foreign family, and all the men have died. In that time, a woman's status and reputation was determined by her relationship to men, whether they're her father, her husband, her son. But through the story of Ruth, we can see that to trust God is to allow him um, between the gap between what you have and what you want to have. And to allow that gap to be exposed and allow God to fill it. So Ruth has an ability to pick grain and what she actually needs is security and a home. So Brené Brown, who I often quote, calls that gap between where you are and where you want to be, between what you have and what you want to have, she calls that vulnerability. And it can feel like a broken record, I think, sometimes at Trinity. But um, it's true that emotional vulnerability, I think, is key to a life that's growing in Jesus. It's been key to mine. As I've learned to be more um, vulnerable and aware of my own emotions, like I've seen God transform more of my heart and my life than I ever thought. Now, I'm not saying that you should be telling everyone your deepest and darkest hopes, fears, desires. Like, really don't do that. <laughs> But are you telling God that stuff? Are you allowing God to see the gap between where you are and where you want to be? Between who you are and who you want to be? Maybe you're single and would love to be married and have a family. Maybe you're married and it's really, really hard. Maybe your health isn't great and you want to be well. Maybe you're studying, and your grades aren't where they need to be. Are you inviting God into that gap? Now, I'm saying this as someone who's firmly in the learning stage of all of this. And there are still some things that I um, 
find really hard to ask God for. When my chats with God, like my internal monologue or my prayer times, my prayers get too close to those things, I can shut down and feel like I'm being less honest. And maybe, just maybe, I find myself too quickly praying, your will be done, Lord, your will be done. But I actually don't mean that at all. I'm just scared to expose myself, expose that fear, in case God doesn't do anything. And that's actually not trust at all. That's fear. One of my friends has been encouraging me to write those things, those like um, unsaid prayers, and write those down. And a few months ago, one evening, I did that. I got my phone, my notes up on my phone, and wrote down three things um, that... I really want to happen, but I don't know if they will. And as I did it, I wept and I wept and I wept. Why? Because it feels risky to ask, doesn't it? It feels risky to trust. It feels risky to expose your need. But Ruth does exactly that. She exposes her need by going to pick leftover grain. The other people in the fields, they know she's a widow. They know she's a foreigner. And as I've said, it was an every man for himself culture. That's a risky thing to do and to be. But Ruth trusted God. When we trust God, we give him the opportunity to reveal himself as faithful. Like the aptly named trustful that I'm sure many of us have done in youth groups or scouts or family parties. When we let go and fall back, we trust the other person to catch us. In order to know God is faithful, we need to fall back and let him catch us. Ruth enters the fields with nothing and leaves with the protection of the men and women who work the fields, the favour of Boaz, the landowner, and with so much food. She arrives with so little and leaves with so much. We see in this passage that God's providence is at work behind every single scene. Could it be, perhaps, that God is at work in the small and the mundane of our lives? God was doing something in leading Ruth to that field on that day. Could it be that he's at work in leading us in um, what feels to pick grain in. Well, not literally grain, unless you're a farmer in here, but could it be that he's leading us in where we choose to live, who we live with, who we bump into when we're walking the dog, who we see when we're strolling around our neighbourhood? Could it be that he's involved in where we choose to go shopping every week? What would it look like if we trusted that God was at work in the very ordinary, mundane parts of our lives. Ruth went to those fields to collect grain and was overwhelmed by God's faithfulness to her through Boaz. It was so surprising that she had to ask him, why? Why have you been so kind to me? Why? Because God had seen everything she had given up. He had seen her put her trust in him. Now, we pray every Sunday um, for the service as a team, so as worship and production team, as the home team, kids and youth team, we gather 
And we pray for you. We pray for us, our church community. And a couple of weeks ago, someone in our community prayed, God, I thank you that we are always on your mind. God, I thank you that we are always on your mind. And it stuck with me. Because it's so simple and it's so true, isn't it? We are always on God's mind. He doesn't have to scan his brain to remember who we are. He doesn't need to ask our names an awkward third time. He doesn't need to be reminded about what's going on in our lives. And actually, I think there's some people that need to know that today. That um, God, you are on God's mind. You're not an afterthought. And maybe someone said it before, that you're an accident. That's not true. God knows you and he loves you. And he wants you to know him even more. And that God, the God who we're on the mind of, that is the God who is faithful. So a paraphrase of Psalm 91 says this. You who sit down in the high God's presence, spend the night in the Almighty's shadow, say this. God, you are my refuge. I trust in you and I'm safe. That's right. He rescues you from from hidden traps, shields you from deadly hazards. His huge outstretched arms protect you. Under them, you're perfectly safe. His arms fend off all harm. Fear nothing, not wild wolves in the night, nor, nor flying arrows in the day. Not disease that prowls through the darkness, not disaster that erupts at high noon. Even though others succumb all around, Drop like flies, right and left. No harm will even graze you. You'll stand untouched. Watch it all from a distance. Watch the wicked turn into corpses. Yes, because God's your refuge. The high God's your very home. Evil can't get to you. Harm can't get through the door. He ordered his angels to guard you wherever you go. If you stumble... They'll catch you. Their job is to keep you from falling. You'll walk unharmed among lions and snakes and kick young lions and serpents from the path. If you'll hold on to me for dear life, says God, I'll get you out of any trouble. I'll give you the best of care if you'll only let me get to know you and if you'll trust me. Call me and I'll answer. Be at your side in bad times. I'll rescue you then through a party. I'll give you a long life, give you a long drink of salvation. His huge outstretched arms protect you. Under them you're perfectly safe. We can trust God because God is faithful. God loves you so much that he sent his son to live and die and to be raised again, so that you never have to be separated from God again, ever. And he sent his spirit so you could know his life-giving, life-changing, powerful love. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for you. 
God has seen everything you've given up. He's seen everything you've lost. He sees everything you have and everything you want to have. He sees everything you are and he says you're enough. Maybe you feel like a foreigner in a hostile land, like nowhere is home. Well, God's faithfulness calls us into relationship, calls us to one another. Do you trust him enough to give this community a go? To step in, to lean in, to find a home in the church, and to find a home with the people around you. To no longer be a foreigner in a hostile land, but to be a citizen in God's kingdom. Ruth goes to the fields with empty hands and returns home with so much. And we'll see over the next couple of weeks that it's even more. That is the upside down power of trusting God. If you go to him with empty hands, he will fill them with his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. Whether it's for the first time or for the thousandth time, do you trust him? Will you let yourself fall back and trust that he'll catch you? We're going to have a moment now to respond. I invite the band to come back up and invite you to stand if you're able. We're going to have a moment of quiet. And this is a time for you to have your chat with God. Do you trust him? So let's pray. Come Holy Spirit.